What second-year quarterback is continuing to get rave reviews? Which NFC North running back is poised for a big breakout season? And what young AFC tight end is poised to have his best year yet? Plus, former football guys and FFPC best ball league winner Noah Rudell co-hosts with me tonight to talk about his football guys players championship battle of the Hardos team he co-owns with Evan Silva. Break down a few second-tier number one targets at wide receiver and much, much more. We've got a great show for you. Noah Rudell is here. I'm Eric Falkman. Stick around. Your high-stakes fantasy football hour starts now. Hands, everybody, if you got what it takes. Broadcast live and heard around the world, you are now listening to the most entertaining hour of radio on the planet. It's the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com with your hosts, Eric Balkman and Dave Gerzak. The High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour is your home for football analysis from the best fantasy players in the world. And now, because no one else was available, here are Eric Balkman and Dave Gerzak. And every one of you Balkaholics and Gerzak and Addicts tuning in this evening or downloading later, welcome to the latest episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com. I'm, of course, your slightly above average host, Eric Balkman. My co-host is normally the patron saint of fantasy football, the Dizzle, Dave Gerzak. But sitting in for him tonight is a high stakes player who's been at the FFPC for four years, mostly the Football Guys Players Championship, where he's won at least one of his three leagues each year. He's also playing in his first ever FFPC main event this season, selecting that entry as his prize for winning a Football Guys team last year. You followed his draft last night on the Run to Daylight podcast as he and Evan Silva teamed up in the Football Guys Players Championship Battle of the Hardos draft. He joins me tonight to co-host the show and tell us all about it you can follow him on Twitter, at Noah Rudell. Please welcome into the show, Noah Rudell. Noah, thanks so much for doing the show with me this week, man. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me, Eric. You, uh, you've you been a busy dude. I mean, in addition to all the uh, the drafts that you've done, I mean, you were on several – I saw you on the Goat District podcast. Obviously, you were featured on the Run to Daylight podcast, that, you know, with all the, the rest of the hardos uh, on that. And now you're doing the yeah. show tonight. It's been a whirlwind of, of fantasy football for you over the last, you know, whatever it's been, seven or eight days. Yeah, in between all the drafting that I do and then my, my typical day job, it's been it's been a pretty busy few days, but it's been good. I'm uh, really enjoying well, this period I- of the fantasy offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, we, we definitely want to pick your brain tonight. I know sports betting man chimed in on Twitter. He's also in the chat room tonight. He says, I am not uh, allowed to go easy on you tonight. We're going to go for the hard-hitting questions because you're, you're, you're operating at a different level and all the high-stakes players tuning in want to hear all about it. So I want, to be care- I want you to, to, uh, to, to warn you to be careful. I'm going to go with the hard-hitting stuff. I'm going to try to get you to spill whatever I can tonight. Uh, and, and try to help everybody else out there because everybody they want, wants inside your brain tonight, Noah. Okay, well, that sounds great as long as you're willing to take some questions from me at the end. <laughs> Always, yeah, for sure. We got a good, we got yeah. a good group in the uh, chat room tonight, too, that, that would uh, be more than willing to, to answer those. Blitz the Mania's in there, Sports Betting Man, Wash Guy is back in there, Casmo 11 yeah. FF all in the chat tonight, so shout-out to all those guys. And shout-out to everyone uh, listening. You feel free to post any questions you might have in the chat room. You can connect with the show at HSFF Hour. I am at Eric Balkman. Uh, Noah is at Noah Rudell. You can also paste on, uh, post on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash HSFF Hour, 347-426-3682. That's 347-GAME-OVA if you want to chime in and talk with us. And, of course, high-stakes fantasy football at gmail.com is where you can get a hold of us. Our producer and mutual friend Rob, our audio engineer and best friend Bryce, will be uh, getting to those questions as we enter the second half of the show coming up in about 25 minutes uh, in the fantasy feedback segment. Coming up 
Uh, overall tonight, what undervalued wideout might end up being the number one target for Washington? What impact will Dirk Ketter have on the Falcons in his second go-round as the OC there? And much, much more. I uh, want to remind everybody, if you are uh, thinking about drafting this weekend or this coming week, never a better time to because there's less than 53 hours for the early bird going on for the Football Guys Players Championship. Go ahead and sign up before midnight Pacific on Sunday and then uh, draft your team before July 15th and you'll get a free $35 FFPC team credit. You can use that on a best ball, a classic, uh, whatever satellite you want for that. Uh, good prep for the main event. Good prep for, for more Football Guys leagues as well. Uh, that is going on until midnight Pacific time. You can do that up to three times. Uh, you'll get those credits. Dynasty starts forming at myffpc.com. We've got some going off tomorrow, some going off Sunday. Uh, and then I think we have some more on Thursday as well, if I remember correctly. Best ball, super flex, and double ups always available at myffpc.com. So, Noah, let's get into it. Can you tell us, uh, you already alluded to your day job. What is your day job when you're not crushing all these best ball drafts? So uh, what I do for a living is construction uh, budget analytics. So I do conceptual estimating and pursuits for a construction company. So uh, basically I have to take a project that has a preliminary design, create a budget for it with the design for it, and uh, carry that budget all the way through to construction, you know, assisting along the way in order to make sure that uh, things don't run over budget or if things do run over budget that we have uh, paths to get back to budget. You know, just target value designing construction projects and uh, kind of managing them all the way from con concept through construction. So that's what I do for a living. Numbers, yeah, numbers, analytics, yeah. value, uh, having to change gears in the middle of it and, and uh, formulating a plan. Boy, I'm hearing no crossover with fantasy football drafting there. Yeah, they're completely separate disciplines. There's no, uh, no value <laughs> that you can learn from one discipline and carry over to the other at all. Exactly. Well, we, we, uh, we'll, we'll be certain to test that theory as we go on uh, through the program tonight. So let's talk about the Battle of the Hardos draft that took place this past Saturday night, uh, Football Guys Players Championship uh, draft, also known as the hard way. Uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit how this draft came about? I think it was sort of, it, it got its birth on Twitter, and, and then the league actually took place on Saturday night. So I'm curious at how the league sort of came to be, and then how you ended up partnering with Evan Silva as you guys co-drafted and, and co-managed this team now going forward. Yeah, well, so there was an argument going on on Twitter about the value of uh, some particular rookie running backs. I think Josh Jacobs was the main start of the, uh, the back and forth, and so everyone was jumping into a thread, and it got a little bit out of hand, and then I think the uh, FFPC Twitter handle jumped in and said, hey, well, why don't you guys all draft against each other and see who's the best? And so we all kind of said, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. And we jumped into a group chat together and set up the details. But uh, my team in this league is named Weekend at Gurley's. Little little play on Weekend at Bernie's because he's a corpse. Love it. Propped up and rolled around. But uh, basically we we all jumped in and the, the league started to get a little bit of traction. A lot of people were interested. A lot of people wanted to talk about it. And then uh, Evan Silva really wanted into the league, but we were full at the time. And he and I are friends we've talked a few times in the past and message back and forth talk on the phone sometimes so he just sent me a message on the morning of the draft and said hey I'd love to get in on this league can I join your team and be a co-manager so we teamed up and talked about some players for a few minutes before the draft started and then fired away so when, when you were teaming up with Evan and obviously in your previous, you know, your phone conversations and, and messages to each other, do you, do you find yourself sort of on the same page with, with a lot, with, I, I don't want to say a lot of player analysis, but, but at least the majority of, of it where you guys were sort of like, okay, well, we know who we like here. We know who we like here. Uh, you weren't getting into a whole lot of, you know, fisticuffs or head-to-head -head digging your heels in on, on certain players in the draft, right? I mean, you guys were kind of of one mind for the most part. I, I wouldn't say that at all, but uh, we, I oh, mean, really? we, we had some back and forth, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's some things that we thought differently about, but you know, we talked through them and I think that we ended up with the players that we were really interested on. You know, it, the, the first pick became easy by the time it got to us because the, the guys that we were looking at there, we had three guys that we were hoping would be there at 10 and only one of them was left. So it was easy to pull the trigger at that point. 
and, and let's let's talk about that. We're talking with Noah Rudell, who's co-hosting the HSF Power tonight. He uh, of uh, numerous Football Guys Players Championship uh, lead wins uh, and, and was in the Hard Way, aka Battle of the Hardos, uh, Football Guys Players Championship draft that took place last Saturday night. So in the pre-draft conversation, you guys, you and I, knew you were drafting at ten. You had uh, three players that you said that that you were that you knew you wanted to get one of those three. You obviously get one of them in in Devonte Adams. I'm curious when you guys were talking pre-draft strategy, did you have any sort of um, conversations about how you wanted to assemble this team, how you wanted to build it? Were you just looking for value to fall? Did you have any overarching themes and, and, and players that you for sure wanted to hit on? Or how did that conversation go? Uh, the conversation was mostly just surrounding the first pick and then making sure that we took players. You know, I, I said that I wanted to make sure that our first few players were players that had um, a, a good floor, but also uh, you know, some attainable upside. And then from there, maybe taking a few more risks and still going for guys that have a chance to uh, maximize the return on the draft capital that we spend on them. But really making sure that we knocked the first few picks out of the park and then just see where, where the board took us after that. And let's talk about some of those first few picks. I already said uh, you went to Devontae Adams at the 110. Um, and then when it came back to you in the second round, you take Juju Smith-Schuster. After that, I mean, obviously two electric uh, wide receivers with, with uh, high floors and, and definitely high ceilings as well. Then you pound five straight running backs. You go Leonard Fournette, uh, Devontae Adams' real-life teammate, Aaron Jones, the two Seattle running backs in Carson and, and Penny, and then you go with the rookie, Miles Sanders. Of those five running backs, uh, did you personally have a favorite, like, oh, man, I'm really glad we got this guy here? Uh, was there one that, that really stood out to you? Probably Miles Sanders in the seventh, just because it was the seventh, and he's a guy that has significant upside late in the season. I think I have him starting off the season a little slowly, but he's a guy that could uh, carry a team late in the season if they dedicate a lot of the touches to him. So he's a guy that I was really happy about. He was my top running back in the draft this year, really close with Daryl Henderson as far as you know the prospects that I looked at. So Miles Sanders was a guy that I was happy to get in the seventh Um the Chris Carson pick, that was one where, you know, Evan and I talking with each other and trying to figure out who wanted what, Evan really wanted to get Chris Carson. And I said, okay, well, if we take Chris Carson here, I have to take Rashad Penny immediately because, you know, I think he's more on the Chris Carson side of things. I'm more on the Rashad Penny side of things. So we wanted to make sure that we covered all of our bases and we uh, had, had a team that was – uh, we had some solid floor, but also a good upside. If one of those guys takes off and becomes the primary back, it's a heavy rushing offense. And, you know, if you can get a guy that late in the draft that can get you 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns, that's just uh, gravy. Yeah, and now I think, um, and, and the Sanders pick, obviously great value on that. In, over the last two weeks in FFPC best ball drafts, he's going at, on average at the 703. You got him uh, more than a half round later than that, so excellent job uh, to, to both you guys on that. Uh, but with the Seattle running backs between Penny and Carson, I think you guys are obviously probably hoping that one of these guys takes a step forward and is the main guy in that backfield because if, if they end up, um, you know, sort of sharing things and, and they both stay healthy, uh, do you envision either of these guys being more than a flex guy? I mean, could they both be number two running backs, given how much Seattle's going to run the ball this year? I think they could both be flex guys. Um, if you look at what they had last year, they had Mike Davis involved as well. If you mix Mike Davis's workload into Rashad Penny's workload, and it's anywhere close to what they did last year, both guys would be flexible. Um, and, and you can use them in your bye week for your other players as well. And then you know, we've got a bunch of upside guys that we got later to fill in as needed. But I think that, that there is a scenario where both of those guys are startable players, both Carson and Penny. So you know, that's, that's worst case, though. So if one of them takes over and is the guy, then he's you know, probably worth a third-round pick and not the fifth and sixth where we got him. Yeah, no question. I mean, if, if one of those guys were to go down or if, if one of them is proving ineffective and the other guy really takes the lead, you're talking about heavy, heavy volume uh, for, for the guy that steps up there. So certainly good value there uh, for where you got both of those guys. What else was interesting to me uh, in this draft, Noah, in rounds of, uh, 8 through 11, you get um, two uh, – you, you, you and Evan selected four players – 
that could all be the number one pass catcher on their teams. Marvin Jones, maybe not as yep. great of a scenario with, with Kenny Galladay there, but Cortland Sutton, Sterling Shepard, and Jordan Reed, the tight end for Washington, is being the number one target on a squad or the chance to be the number one target on a squad something that you guys emphasize in, in your draft approach? Having the path to being the number one target is valuable. You know, every one of these players, when you look at it, everyone's got a range of outcomes. And you want to see, okay, on the high end, where does this put this guy? Where on the low end, where does this put this guy? So, so guys who have a path to be the top, it just elevates their high end potential outcome. So I, I like guys like that. You know, I could easily see someone like Sterling Shepard commanding a high number of targets and having his first thousand yard season. Uh, same thing with Cortland Sutton. So getting those guys in the ninth and 10th round, you know, I, I would have liked some other guys earlier, but the, the problem is these guys that I would typically take there were already gone in this draft because of the level of competition, you know, typically in those rounds, I'm, I've been taking guys like Dante Pettis or Christian Kirk. You know, some of those guys that I like better that go in those rounds, but those are not available in a draft with this many pros. Noah Rudell, Christian uh, Kirk FFCC. went in the sixth round, and Dante Pettis did as well. Yeah, no, and, 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 and totally right on that. I, I was surprised to see some of those uh, receivers go, go off where they were as I, I looked on this draft board. By the way, if you want to check out this draft board, um, you can check out the FFPC Twitter feed. I know that really, I mean, it's posted all over Twitter if you search battle, but like the hard way or battle of the hardos or, or any of the, you know, the, the competitors' uh, Twitter handles on there. You can check it out. It's on Noah's. It's on Evan's. Uh, Two-packer. It's on his as well. Crack Rock. Uh, no question. So there's a, there's a ton of people posting this on Twitter. Actually, we should get that up on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour uh, uh, Facebook and, and Twitter, too. I'll, I'll tell Rob to do that. Uh, Noah, when you looked at the draft board after it was uh, complete, sort of what was your takeaway, not only uh, about your squad when, when you looked at it, when it was finalized, but also maybe anything else that, that sort of stood out to you about any other team in this league or, or maybe about the league or, or the draft in general? I think some people took more risks than I anticipated people would take. You know, this is a league that has a punitive last place penalty that involves wearing a, uh, a costume with an unflattering appendage on the front. So I, I, I was surprised that some people drafted the way that they did, just, you know, thinking of a last place penalty. But I liked it because everyone was trying to draft for first place. You know, I think one of the picks that, started the uh, the craziness in this draft was when Todd, who drafted right next to me, picked Derrick Henry at the 202. And that just kind of started the snowball of people making some pretty bold picks. I think uh, we had a guy that took Todd Gurley in the third and Daryl Henderson in the fourth, and then followed that with Tyreek Hill in the sixth. So a lot of risk there, but, you know, maybe a lot of potential upside. So there's there's a lot of guys that took paths that you don't see very often, but it was really interesting to see the way that the board came together. And we had a lot of good interaction and discussion during the draft. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I look at this from the standpoint of not only are you guys each trying to win, you know, $250,000, you're trying to win this league. You're trying to avoid. Yeah. I'm assuming there's going to be social media pictures of whoever the loser is wearing said costume, right? Noah. Oh, I'm sure that there will. They'll, they'll last forever. So not being last <laughs> place is good, but I, I, I I really am not concerned about being last place. So, right, yeah, no, no, and nor should you. I know uh, a sports betting man already chimed in in the chat room saying how how he was really a big fan of your team, uh, and I know a lot of the other feedback on Twitter that you got was was pretty positive about the squad uh, that you had put together. But yeah, he must I think like when you look at this head. from, <laughs> pretty much, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. When, when you yeah, look I mean, at, I think, I think um, as long as. As long as I have tight ends that are not all greeters at Walmart by the end of the season, I think that I'll be in decent shape. <laughs> well, there's a non-zero chance of that happening, but I think you're going to be okay. Blitz the Mania uh, chiming in in the chat saying that the, uh, the unflattering costume that you referred to will be worn live at the FFPC Vegas event at Planet Hollywood in 2020. So that will certainly be the price of uh, admission for anybody going out there to see whoever that is. Uh, uh, certainly, it, it, it's, uh, well it's going to be interesting. Well worth to see somebody in the costume. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Casmo11FF chiming in in the chat room said that he heard you on the uh, Goat District podcast. 
talking about Tyreek Hill. Uh, with the news that has come out this week, uh, you know, and, and I don't want to say it's news news, but we know that he met with the NFL for eight hours. Um, there's been reports that it went positively. There's been other reports that he might only get suspended for a, a maximum of four games. Again, that's just speculation right now, but that's basically all we have to go on until more concrete stuff comes out. With this, with these reports being out there, Noah, have you changed your, your viewpoint on, on Tyreek Hill uh, at all going forward, or, or do you still have sort of the same draft strategy when, when, uh, when attacking your drafts in regards to Tyreek Hill? I think that the NFL wants a definitive result to this scenario, especially because of the optics of uh, the, the tape that everyone has heard. So if he's not going to be suspended heavily, it's because they have something or they, there's, there's a way for them to show that he is completely innocent. So I, if, if there's something or some way for them to uh, say that he did not do this or that he is in, innocent, then it makes sense that the suspension would be short. In any other circumstance, I think the NFL is going to want to throw the book at him. So the, the news sounded positive. I would, I would caution that the news that you hear right after a hearing like this, it's not coming from the NFL side. It's coming from the lawyers or the agents. Right. Tyreek Hill, you know, the prosecutor that the NFL hires to do this kind of work isn't talking to Adam Schefter. The person talking to Schefter, whoever the news is coming from, it's someone from Tyreek Hill's camp. So I would caution that we don't know what the NFL will do and that the optics is something that uh, Roger Goodell will be very cognizant of, and he's not going to want to let him off if there's any chance that people believe that he's guilty, especially when people have heard that tape and have uh, prejudged or have developed an idea of what they think Tyreek Hill is as a person. And uh, so I I think, and not only that, but we'll see, you know, those same people obviously have, have probably spoken out about the NFL's handling of, you know, say, you know, Ray Rice or, or, you know, some of the other domestic abuse uh, situations that we've heard in the NFL. So, and I think the NFL is definitely aware of that as well. Uh, when you look at, and I totally agree with you, the, the news that I'm sorry, no, the I, case, I totally agree example, with you. Yeah, in the Z case, for example, the, the NFL's prosecutor did not recommend charges, and then uh, they ended up go, or not, did not recommend a suspension, and then they ended up suspending him six games anyway. So I think there's no definitive answer out of the news that we've heard recently, but you know. It, it is more positive than it was. And, and to your point, and I totally agree with you that the positive reports that we're hearing right now, there's no doubt to me that, that this is coming from the, the Tyree Kill camp and, or you know, potentially maybe the Chiefs camp. But certainly not, we're not hearing from the other side of this or from the, you know, any sort of independent arbitrators or, 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 or arbiters or judges or anything exactly. like that. Uh, so I think that, that what we're hearing right now, that might be the best-case scenario. And, and if it is, great. I mean, then, then we'll know. I mean, we want clarity as fantasy owners, clearly as well. Over the last two weeks in FFPC best ball, he has risen. He is now going in the mid-fifth round. In fact, he's gone as early as the 208 uh, in at least one draft so far. And, and we get this, uh, by the way, this, this ADP uh, comes right from fantasymojo.com. Give him a shout-out uh, as, as well for putting that together. But – I mean, people are trying to get their guys. I think he'll settle into the fourth round over the next few weeks. And he is going behind guys that I could easily see him going ahead of, of, you know, going forward once we get some more news out. I mean, Chris Godwin, B.J. Moore, Robert Woods, Kenny Galladay, Brandon Cooks, Julian Edelman. I mean, these are all guys I could see he'll going. And and if if he is suspended, um, let's say it is four games, Noah, and, and we do know that. Would you take him in in the fourth round of of like an FFPC main event or a football guys draft? Is that where you would settle in on Hill? I would have to be very very comfortable with my first three picks, and and I would have to have clarity on what the duration of the suspension was. Also, you know, if, if he's suspended for four games, for example, and he decides to fight it, and the suspension is going to happen at some point during the season rather than happening at the beginning of the season, that would change things for me as well. So I, there's, there's so much yeah, no. that's left to be determined with all of this. 
no question. And, and, and then it's, it comes to be like, okay, well, are you going to take Hill and maybe he plays all the games this season or maybe he, you know, gets suspended, you know, week 10 or week 11 and all of a sudden he's out for the league playoffs and, and, and that bleeds into the championship. I mean, you really want a, a guy on your roster like that. So it goes into the whole strategy of, of what's the proper way to handle this. And, and no doubt we will get more information over the next few weeks uh, how much uh, remains to be seen. Noah Rudell co-hosting the HSFF Hour tonight. Uh, you saw him draft in the, uh, the hard way draft, the Battle of the Hardos uh, Football Guys Players Championship draft. Uh, he's also won uh, multiple FFPC Best Ball Leagues, multiple Football Guys Players Championship Leagues. But I want to talk about the best balls here, Noah, because you play in a ton of best ball leagues across many different formats, nearly 4,000 last year. You're already in more than 700 so far this year. As we haven't even entered July yet. I'm curious, how do you find the time not only to do all of them, but to, to, to make all the picks? And, and how do you keep all these leagues straight with that, with that many of them going on? Uh, with best ball leagues, you don't really have to keep them straight, so that makes it a lot easier. Um, I'll do some slow drafts. I'll have 10 to 20 slow drafts running at a time. And then I'll do fast drafts as I'm able to, you know, just in, in the evenings after after my family goes to sleep, things like that. I'll, I'll just go ahead and pop off a few fast drafts. But uh, just I just kind of space them out throughout the, the season and do them in the evenings. And uh, it's just it's a fun way to spend some time. I'll do uh, three or four live drafts at a time with 30-second clocks. So it's kind of my uh, goodness keeps you on your toes. Um, how do you, uh, and, I, and I'm curious on this, is um, when, when you're building these rosters and assembling the, these players on these teams, are you ever worried about drafting too many of one player or, or you know, are, are you concerned with rather, you know, than being overweight on a certain player that you want to spread the talent out, spread the wealth out? Or do you just like, look, I believe in my convictions. These are the players I want. And I want to get these guys on, a, on as many teams as possible. How do you treat that when you're managing, you know, thousands of, of, of drafts where, where you're assembling these best ball rosters? Well, it's a, that's a good question, and it depends on the format of the draft, how many people are in the draft. You know, if it's a three-person versus 12-person versus 10-person versus six-person. I, mean, I draft in all different sizes. So I go from three-person drafts all the way up to 12-person drafts, and your philosophy for each of those as far as your ownerships and your exposure is very different. And then also if they're best ball cash games or if they're best ball championships where it's some kind of tournament, my strategy will be very different in those as well. But as far as, you know, guys that I'm convicted on, I don't want to take them too far ahead of where their ADP is just because I do enough volume that I'll be able to get decent exposure. I think that I get uh, good exposure to the guys that I like just by fading the guys that I don't like. And, you know, so I end up getting guys a couple spots ahead of, their ADP from time to time. But you know, if I start to get, you know, for example, I, I track my ownership in three-man drafts very closely because you know, you're, you should have around a third of each one of the players if you're drafting everybody the same. But if I start to get up over 50, I reconsider what I'm doing, and I think, you know, maybe I'm taking this player around before I have to. Maybe if I wait another round, that guy will still be there, and I'll get you know, similar exposure. Maybe I'll lower it down to 45%, but I'll be getting that guy around later each time. So I, I use my exposure to each player as a way of dialing in when I take players because sometimes you don't realize that you're overdrafting a guy because you know, you're higher on him than most people are or you're lower on the other guys that are in his tier, but that makes it so you can get him later because you're passing on the guys that someone else is going to take, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally does, and very interesting uh, philosophy when, you, when you're talking about managing those types of teams. Is there a player that you are concerned that, that maybe has, has entered that 50, 50% threshold or a player that you think that, okay, I, I got this guy a bunch, I need to dial it back on him. Is there a player like that so far this season or conversely, maybe a player that, that you liked and, and you read you know, a blurb on him and you're like, well, why don't I have that guy in more spots? This is a guy I like and I don't seem to be getting him. Are there a player or players that stand out on either ends of, those of, uh, either ends of the spectrum there? Um, guys that basically that, where, where I noticed that is when a guy shifts drastically in ADP. So right now Dante Pettis is one of those. You know, I, I was grabbing him at fairly even amount of exposure when he was going in the eighth and ninth round because you know, I liked him. 
I wasn't trying to uh, pick him in every eighth round, but now it seems like he's jumped up, and I realize, you know, I haven't taken Dante Pettis in a while. And then I look, and, you know, it's because he's going in the seventh round now or, you know, late sixth round. So guys like that, I, you know, I think he could end up being in the late fifth. Um, uh, some other guys like that, maybe Christian Kirk. Um, but I, I try and stay ahead of ADP moves on most of the guys that I'm interested in. What I do with each player is I do a thought experiment about their ADP. Are they going to have a better ADP than this at a later point in the season? Or is this the best case that I'm going to get? And if I think it's the best case, then I will take that player a lot in that spot. But if there's potential for me to get them at a better ADP later, then I won't try and force exposure to a player because I know that I'm going to get more exposure to them later in the season. So players that I do that with, a lot of times it's guys that I think are going to be suspended or guys where more news is going to drive up their ADP later on. So... If, if there's a guy that I like, but I go, hey, he's got, he's going to get a suspension. It just hasn't been announced yet. I'll wait and take him after the dip. Sports betting man uh, chiming in the chat. He wants to know if you fade a quote talented player across all contests to the point that you might be screwed if that player goes off. Has there ever been anybody like that that's going at the top of drafts that you've totally eliminated off your draft board? Or is everybody fair game when you're drafting Noah? Uh, there's, there's some players. I mean, did you want to talk about some potential busts that I'm sure? Yeah. I don't have much of. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, do you want to, how about we go from the 10th round back to the first round and identify the guy that I think is most likely to bust in each. Does that sound good? Sure. Sure. That's perfect. Let's do that. Okay. 10th round, uh, DK Metcalf. I don't, I don't have him and I'm not really interested in having him, but he goes in the 10th round. Ninth round, Kareem Hunt. I don't think I want Kareem Hunt in the ninth round at all. Uh, eighth round right now, Geronimo Allison goes at the 809. That's not something I'm re- interested in taking. Seventh round, uh, Eric Ebron. I'm not taking Eric Ebron in the seventh round. Uh, sixth round, Jarvis Landry. I'm not taking Jarvis Landry in the sixth round. And these are all .5 PPR. But I'm, uh, yeah, Jarvis Landry in the sixth round is rich for me in .5 PPR. Uh, Cooper Cup in the fifth round, just because uh, the injury potential. I don't think that there should be an expectation that he's back to 100% after a midseason ACL tear. He's very effective when he's healthy, but I think that the expectation that he's going to be 100% is a little bit inflated. So I'm I'm not really interested in him at the 505, which is where he's currently going. Uh, fourth round, uh, Philip Lindsay. That's an easy one. He's, uh, he's going way too high. Third round, Josh Jacobs is uh, is a guy that I don't have hardly any of, and I think he's I think the third round is rich for a guy who is going to be game script dependent. Uh, second round is also easy, Todd Gurley. And then uh, first round, first round's a little tougher because there's a name that I want to say, but uh, probably I think everyone would probably be surprised. Um, Le- Le'Veon Bell's maybe one that I would. I would say, but there's a, there's another one that I don't really have any of and I'm not interested in taking, but I don't think I'm ready to say that yet. Okay. No, listen, uh, we'll, we'll still count Levy on Bellness. Listen, we've never had any, you know, normally we have our guests every week come on and say, okay, who's a player that you're staying away from? Who's a player that you're trying to get late? We've never had anybody list 10 guys they're going away from. So you definitely get the pass on the first round uh, if you don't want to reveal that player. So just to reiterate here, uh, from what you had, Noah, in the first round, you're staying away from Le'Veon Bell. In the uh, second uh, round, you're staying away from Todd Gurley. Third round, Josh Jacobs. Uh, fourth round, Philip Lindsay. Fifth round, Cooper Cup. Sixth round, Jarvis Landry. Seventh round, Eric Ebron. Eighth round, Geronimo Allison. Ninth round, Kareem Hunt. And uh, tenth round, DK Metcalf. Now, I think we have a couple of questions uh, on Kareem Hunt and DK Metcalf coming up later on. Um, but so uh, we'll, we'll explore those uh, in, in a little bit. Uh, but that was great stuff there. Now, conversely, do you want to reveal any of the players that you're targeting maybe in the second half of drafts or in the mid rounds? Uh, it's, uh, it's not really specifically targeting. I'm just looking at guys that have a, a range of outcomes that can return significantly higher than what I'm spending on them. And if it's more of a tournament style draft, I'm more likely to take. Some of those riskier guys, um, just 
it's best ball that I do for the most part. So I'm looking for guys with a weekly ceiling as much as I'm looking for guys with a seasonal ceiling. So you know, a guy like Antonio Callaway that can catch you know, one bomb touchdown and be a startable asset in a best ball format is a guy that interests me when he's going in the 17th round. Um, just players like that. I, I'm, I like taking, for example, uh, players in undervalued offenses. So you can get all of Miami's receivers outside of the top 150 ADP. So if you want to go ahead and take Kenny Stills and Albert Wilson at the end of your draft, they're available at any point. So just taking some shots on guys that could return a weekly ceiling in best ball is just as important as guys that can return a season-long ceiling in redraft. So I, I like taking guys like that that are outside the 150 that have a potential to return uh, a high amount of points on a weekly basis. Uh, there's there's teams that, if you look at it, you go, man, these teams have to have some value. You know, for example, you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they only have one pass-catching option that's being drafted in 18-team leagues, and that's D.D. Westbrook. No tight ends are being drafted in 18-team leagues, and D.D. Westbrook's the only receiver that's being taken. So someone else on that team will have value. Figuring out who that is is, uh, is a little difficult, but things like that, just situations where there's someone that's going to pop, and I'm looking for some players that have potential to pop late. But as far as who those specific targets are, I don't, I don't think I want to give those away just yet. Uh, Casmo 11FF in the in the chat room wants to know, you, you took Jalen Richard, and he wants to know, was that a result uh, of you believing that, that the Raiders are not going to be very good, or as he puts it, real bad again. I know you mentioned about Josh Jacobs, how, how his, his game script dependent, but Jalen Richard could have that sort of negative game script where, where he actually excels if the Raiders are playing catch-up. Yeah, yeah. so he was my highest-owned running back in best ball last year because if you watch the way that John Gruden runs his offense, his personnel groupings are very rigid. So when they are in their hurry-up offense, it's going to be Jalen Richard on every play. At least that was my plan last year. And I thought, okay, this team's going to be behind a lot. They're going to be playing a lot of catch-up. And Jalen Richard is the check-down option for a quarterback that loves to check the ball down in an offense that's going to be losing most of the time. So I really liked Jalen Richard last year, and he did okay for the, the draft price that I was paying then. I'm slightly less interested in Jalen Richard this year than I was last year, not by a lot, but I think he's going to have a similar role. He's going to be the guy that's out there during the hurry-up offense. But I think that with Antonio Brown in the fold, they will need to check down less often. So I, I like him. I think he'll have a similar role to last year, but maybe not quite the, uh, the, the same number of targets. I do think that he could see the positive side of touchdown regression, though, because I don't think that he got nearly the number of touchdowns that you would expect for his touches last season. Let's get into a couple of uh, emails that came in for you uh, this week, and that is the first one from Camden, New Jersey. It's Mike. Hi, Noah. How have you been handling Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in your drafts this summer? Good luck in 2019. Mike, thanks for the email. Appreciate that. Well, we already know you're avoiding him and then uh, Kareem Hunt in the ninth round. What about Nick Chubb? Uh, is that a guy that – that you've been turned on to, a guy that you've been targeting in, in your drafts, Noah? Uh, yeah, I, I like Nick Chubb a lot. Um, if I'm doing the best ball tournaments where I need a, a, there's a premium on the points that you get at the end of the season, I'm less likely to take Nick Chubb. I think he, it drops him a couple of spots just because there is a little bit of risk there for a workload split at the end of the season. But I, I don't have any interest in drafting Kareem Hunt at this point, um, not in best ball, not in redraft. I, I don't understand the, the the drive to pick him. It's just not a, not a player that really interests me. He's suspended for the first half of the season. You know, if you look at the uh, the team that I drafted in the Battle of the Hardos, the weekend at Gurley's team, I picked Duke Johnson in the 15th round because you know, Duke Johnson's going to have a role for the first half of the season as the pass-catching running back. And then I think that at the trade deadline, the Browns are likely to trade him to a team that needs a workhorse running back because you know, Duke Johnson wants out. He's asked to be traded, and the Browns have rebuffed all of his trade requests. And the reason for that is because they need him until Kareem Hunt is back. So my question is, why would I take Kareem Hunt in the ninth round 
when I can take Duke Johnson, who's going to have the same role for the first eight games of the season in the 15th or 16th round, and then Duke Johnson also has upside after that. So you know, you're, you're guaranteed to get zeros for the first half of the season with Kareem Hunt. So he's not a player that I'm really interested in taking a whole lot of. Yeah, no, no question that uh, even when Hunt comes back, if Duke Johnson does excel in those first eight weeks, which is always important to get off to a quick start in the Football Guys Players Championship or the FFPC main event or really any FFPC league, um, there's a chance that Duke Johnson could have a role even when Hunt is back. So you're rolling the dice a little bit there, taking Hunt in the single-digit round and you have Duke Johnson him, so. much, much later. Right, exactly. That's another good point to bring up, too. Um, Steve in New Kensington, Pennsylvania writes, What's up, Noah? Who is the Rams receiver to target for value this year? Cooks, Woods, or Cup? Uh, thanks for the email, Steve. Well, we already know that you're not on Cooper Cup this year, Noah, as, as he's going in the fifth round, too rich for your blood. Do you like Robert Woods? Do you like Brandon Cooks? Or, or are you sort of avoiding the Rams' uh, receiving situation? I'm not avoiding them. Um, I think that they're going fairly early. I mean, in the past, they were going fifth and you – know, past years, they were going fifth and sixth round, and that was – a good solid value you know at in the fourth round they're priced closer to their ceiling i am interested in brandon cooks and robert woods where they're where they're going only if you know the draft has been really sharp to that point and those guys are the higher you know the highest guys that i've got left uh, it doesn't fall that way typically typically there's other guys that i'd rather have in that range but um the thing to think about from last season is that Cooper Cup was the highest scoring of the receivers until he got hurt. So when, if, you know, if at some point this season he gets back to 100%, he could become the highest scoring of them again. But you know, when is that going to happen and how will that affect the other guys? One thing that I would say is that the Rams' offense as a whole was far more effective with Cooper Cup than they were without him. I think that their yards per attempt uh, fell by two yards per attempt after Cooper Cup was injured. So I think if you are if you are taking a stab at the Rams' offense, Cooper Cup might not be a bad guy to take, you know, if you're, if you're trying to build like a tournament stack or something like that, because Cooper Cup's health unlocks the upside of the Rams as a team and as an offense. Not only were they better throwing the ball, they were also better running the ball because they had that threat of Cooper Cup along with those other three receivers. Basically, if, if any one of those three is injured, it lowers the ceiling of the entire offense because they're a lot easier to defend. The, the way that they play, they're very multiple. All of those receivers will run all of the same routes in any given situation. So they, they mix them up. You don't know who's going to do what. They'll run all three of them on jet sweeps. So having one of those guys down really makes it easier to predict what they're going to do, and it makes their offense go a lot slower. So if you're if you want to take Jared Goff, for example, maybe you know he's he's a guy that you want to stack with Cooper Cup because maybe Cooper Cup is healthy earlier than I'm anticipating. So things like that. Brandon Cooks at the uh, 406 in drafts right now. Uh, Robert Woods at the 412, and then Cooper Cup at the 512. So they're all sort of bunched up right now. Uh, but to your point, um, you know, it, as far as these Rams receivers go, the value could change if Cup does come back. And, and, you know, and, and he is close to his former self, especially in the second half of the season. Um, it's, it's, it, it will be interesting to see how that Rams offense operates. Let's get into the uh, fantasy flash here. And I want to thank football guys, Roto World, Rob, and, uh, or excuse me, Roto World and Rob for tonight's rundown. Let's kick things off with the Jaguars rookie tight end, Josh Oliver, third round pick. According to Jaguars.com, he's showing a good rapport with Nick Foles. Really stood out in the Jacksonville offseason uh, program. And there's not uh, a ton of talent in front of him that he has to uh, uh, get in front of. Uh, he's not the greatest run blocker in the world, but I think you could say that about a lot of rookie tight ends. And the reason I bring this up, Noah, with the FFPC uh, having that uh, tight end premium scoring, Josh Oliver basically three right now. He's a 25th-round pick. Is this a guy that you would look uh, in, in a 28-round tight end premium scoring best ball? Would you look at adding him as a fourth tight end or maybe even a third tight end in the 25th round? Yeah, I wouldn't mind having him late. I mean, I think one of the best things for a uh, a rookie tight end's fantasy value is if he's bad at blocking because then they won't ask him to do it that much and he'll be running more routes. 
uh, anytime you're doing tight end projections, getting pretty close on the number of routes that they're going to run is your most predictive way of figuring out what their fantasy value is going to be. And so I think that he could have a little bit of value where he's going because, like I said earlier, there's only one player being drafted from the from Jacksonville that's a pass catcher, and that's D.D. Westbrook. So somebody's going to have to catch some passes there. And then um, they also they signed another tight end in the offseason from the Cowboys, Jeff Swain, and I think Jeff Swain profiles better as a blocking tight end. So you know, your hope, if you're taking uh, Oliver late, is that you've got Jeff Swain inside doing the blocking and Oliver's out running routes. So I, I wouldn't mind taking him later. I actually debated uh, taking him versus taking Jason Witten, but I think that uh, Evan really wanted another old tight end, so we took Jason Witten at the end of our draft. Going back to uh, the, the chat room, but sticking with tight ends, uh, also going back to the Rams, the Wash guy wants to know what you think of Gerald Everett this year in uh, in, in best ball drafts or, or just getting draft in general. But I can say that he's going at the 16-12 over the last two weeks in FFPC best balls. Noah, your uh, your thoughts on Gerald Everett, if he's a target for you or, or a guy you like at that spot? Uh, he's not a priority for me. Um, that, that offense – isn't really predicated around tight end production. So um, I don't mind taking him if I need a depth tight end, but he's not a guy that I have very high expectations for. My, my projections don't favor him very much. Um, they run most of the time. They have a tight end in there, that Higby, that's blocking. So I, I'm not very high on Gerald Everett. Moving on to uh, to Buffalo, Josh Allen, according to Shady McCoy, says he's improved. Quote, he looks better. I think he looks more confident. I think last year he just played off of talent. Sometimes when quarterbacks are really talented, you overlook how smart they really are. Josh is smart. Uh, Josh Allen, uh, and, and I'll tell you this right now, as far as uh, the ADP goes, he is going as the – I just had it. I'm sorry. He is going as the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. He's going as the quarterback 17 in drafts right now. Uh, Josh Allen was, was really, really good, as, as my normal co-host, Dave Grizzak, likes to point out. He was really great down the stretch last year. Can he continue that into 2019? And, and I guess even if he, he's close to that at, at quarterback 17, and especially if you wait on quarterback, I mean, that's the type of guy that you love having as uh, your backup, right, Noah? Yeah, I think that he, if he rushes the same this season as he did last year, then you've got a good chance of having a quarterback one. You know, the question is, do they want him to rush that much? Are they going to try and dial that back this year? It seems that a lot of his rushing last year was he didn't see something that he liked, he panicked, and he, he ran. It wasn't, you know, really designed rushing as much. So if he is uh, more confident in the pocket, does that lower his fantasy projection for you? You know, because – his ball placement is you know, very poor. It's one of the worst in the NFL. So if he is becoming more confident in the pocket, does that actually make him a worse fantasy quarterback? Would be the, uh, the catch-22 with Josh Allen because if he's not running, you know, breaking, if the play isn't breaking down, he's running out of the pocket, jumping over guys, you know, hurtling guys in to get to the end zone. I think that he had a whole bunch of rushing touchdowns down the stretch that elevated his score. But basically, if he doesn't have the same rushing volume, will you know, whatever development he's made as a passer be enough to offset the lost rushing volume? So it's an interesting question. I think if he's going quarterback 17, that's that's fine. I mean, that's that's an easy spot to pull the trigger on him because he's got upside to finish in the top 12 fairly easily if he maintains his rushing production. So I, I don't think it's a bad bet to take him where he's going if he's quarterback 17. Noah, from Buffalo, let's head south to Washington and talk about uh, Trey Quinn because he was on injured. He, he ended up being listed on injured reserve twice during his rookie season last year, only played in three games. Um, the new receivers coach in Washington, I think he's – well, maybe he's not new. I think Ike Hilliard is, is returning as a receivers coach there. But he is one of uh, apparently a lot of people that considers Trey Quinn to be a breakout candidate this year. Now, the reason I bring this up is because Washington doesn't really have, like, an alpha pass catcher in his prime. Uh, Jordan Reed used to be that when he was healthy. Uh, he has sort of left that area of his career. Josh Doxson has never really come uh, in, into his own there, and they have a lot of other guys there 
that are just sort of that. They're just guys. But Trey Quinn, um, I don't think he's going to be a world beater. He's not going to be a Julian Edelman type guy. But you're talking about a dude who's going in the 23rd round. I mean, you're looking for sneaky value late. This is the type of guy that, you know, maybe he could catch five, six passes a game in this offense. Trey Quinn, is this a guy that you would get on board with late in a best ball? I'd be interested in him in PPR. Um, a lot of the stuff that I do is .5 PPR, so he's a little bit less interesting there. But I, I think that the projection that I have for him right now is taking over the uh, the role that was vacated by Jamison Crowder. So uh, there's some there's some value there in PPR. I think he's going to have a fairly low A dot, and you know depth of target. He's, he's going to catch a lot of short passes. But if that's what the offense is going to be, then that, that could make a lot of sense. I think that the other thing to figure out is which of the quarterbacks is going to be starting. Is it going to be Dwayne Haskins or is it going to be Case Keenum? Because if Case Keenum is the starter, I think that probably helps Trey Quinn a little bit because he's, you know, Case Keenum throws the ball shorter anyway. I think Dwayne Haskins is going to be challenging further down the field. So who's going to be the quarterback? Washington is such a difficult team to figure out because – we don't know who the starting quarterback's going to be. We don't know who the starting receivers are going to be. We don't know who the starting running back is going to be. I mean, there's there's a whole lot that needs to be settled in camp. But Trey Quinn has as good a chance as anybody to command the most targets in that passing game. And you know, for a guy that you can get after the 20th round, that's not a bad value if it's a PPR league. Noah Rudell, a former FFPC uh, best ball league champ as well as football guys league champ, uh, joining me on the show this week. And, and Noah, let's, we've been talking about these late-round guys here. Let's talk about an early-round guy, and that's Dalvin Cook. Uh, I've heard a lot of people, a lot of people in the know in Minnesota, beat writers and, and what have you, say that he is going to have a big 2019 season. Count that in the club, or count Terrell Davis in the club from the NFL Network of saying that as well. Uh, he talked about... Uh, how he knew Gary Kubiak, and when Gary Kubiak was the OC in Denver, when, when Terrell Davis was running for a million yards every year. Uh, Cook is going to get a lot of opportunities this year. He only had 133 last year. He, he obviously had the hamstring issues last year. In 2017, he had the ACL. Uh, but uh, Terrell Davis says, quote, the third-year pro has the natural ability to be a top-ten running back, and we've seen glimpses of his talent the last two seasons. So obviously he's got to stay healthy, but he's going to be a big part of this offense in, in Minnesota. He is going, uh, I believe he's a second-round pick right now as I load up my uh, ADP yeah. from, uh, late from Fantasy Mojo. Two, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 206 over the last two weeks. Um, so you look at Dalvin Cook in the second round. I don't know what your feelings are on this because this is a guy that struggled to stay healthy, but if he can put it together this year, he might outplay that mid-second-round spot, Noah. Yeah, I think that he is a player that has a um, he has a low floor and a high ceiling because his injury history is very very checkered. So if he gets hurt again, I mean, I think that that's highly possible. But if he stays healthy all year, he could he could be a top six, top seven running back because he's going to have the workload. Alexander Madison doesn't. Uh, scare me that much. I was really surprised when they took him when they did because I do not think that he's a very good running back prospect. Uh, I think they took him too early. I had an undrafted grade on him, but I, I think that he's going to get the workload as long as he's healthy. The offensive line is a little bit of a question mark. They've done what they can to improve it. It was one of the worst in the NFL last year. Uh, if, if they can have some improvement on the offensive line, I, I think that he has a chance to deliver you know, mid-first round value in the late second, but he also carries a risk. So that's why he goes where he does. Let's get to a few emails here as we got a few minutes left in the show to answer some Terry in Youngstown, Ohio. I don't really hear you guys talk about Vance McDonald much and feel like he could be a big player in Pittsburgh. Now that Antonio Brown is gone. Is he a target of either of you this season? Have a great weekend. That is Terry in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, Noah, in uh, the FFPC best balls, he is going as an early seventh-round pick currently, the 703. He is going right behind uh, David Njoku, uh, Jared Cook, Eric Ebron going right before him. Uh, and then he's, and uh, Vance McDonald, on average, is being drafted right ahead of uh, Austin Hooper, and then Trey Burton is the next tight end coming off the board at the end of the eighth round. So it's basically Njoku, McDonald, and Hooper sort of bunched up in that seventh round there. Do you like McDonald there over those uh, other tight ends? And, and what kind of season do you think he's going to have sans Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh? 
for me, he's a tier ahead of those guys that you mentioned. Uh, Njoku, he's multiple tiers ahead of Ebron, but he's a tier ahead of Njoku for me. And uh, I, he's up in the Jared Cook territory, and um, I, I think he goes too late on FFPC. He goes about the same spot on some of the other platforms that I draft on, um, and, and those are not tight end premium. So I think that on FFPC, he goes, uh, he goes in a spot where he's a target for me. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, very interesting to hear that about Vance McDonald in, in, in FFPC ADP. Uh, Travis in Boston writes, how big of an impact, if any, do you see Dirk Ketter having coming back to run the Falcons offense again in this season? Thank you for the email, Travis in Boston. If you remember, uh, to, to uh, 2012 to 2014, I believe, is when Ketter was the OC in Atlanta. Matt Ryan had his, his, you know, some big years. I think he had his MVP season that year. Or one of those years, and I know they went to the, um, they no, they lost in the NFC Championship to San Francisco, who went to the Super Bowl that year. Uh, but you look at Ketter coming back, a lot of the same guys. I mean, Devontae Freeman's there, I mean, Julio Jones, Matt Ryan. What impact do you think he's going to have on those guys in Atlanta, Noah? I, th- I think it's going to be good for for those guys. It's going to be you know somewhat more of the same. I think they'll be uh, slightly more effective than they were last season, but I think they'll need to score less points. Uh, we've seen some interesting dynamics with uh, the Falcons the last few years where I think two of the last three years they've had decimating injuries to their defense that have uh, made it so they've had to play catch-up and score a whole lot of points. I think that they they were giving up the most points in the NFL at one point last season. So I think that some of their offensive performance the last few years has been uh, elevated or escalated by game script. And I don't expect that as much this year. I think the defense will be a lot better. So I think that they'll be more effective, but they won't necessarily be more prolific, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's uh, something to keep in mind when you're looking at these Falcons and, and where they're going in drafts, too. So very important, very so, good analysis. Eric, there. I got a question. I want to get to what – yeah, go ahead, Noah. Yeah, so I, I heard that you recently traded away Todd Gurley in a high-stakes FFPC Dynasty League. I wanted to ask you well, what led to that decision, and having having done it, do you feel like you made the right move? Okay, so let, so let me so pr- let me preface this by saying, number one, it wasn't an FFPC League. I don't play in any FFPC League. It was a private Dynasty League. But I um, have to okay. ask you, was this prompted? Was, that's okay. Was this question prompted by Two Packer? Did he goad you into this? I have some friends with eclectic interests. <laughs> All right, so here's what happened. Um, my this this team I've had is has always been a pretty good team, um, but it's never it's never won a playoff game. It's led the league in scoring twice, but it always seems to falter when it gets to the playoffs. And obviously, that's growing frustration for me. So now with this with yes, totally. So now with this girly arthritic knee thing, I was coming off again a first round playoff exit, and I had the seven pick in the uh, rookie draft, and I kind of made up my mind while I was taking Henderson there. I didn't really have any, any way around it. And Tupacker was actually picking uh, at, at the spot in front of me. And uh, he made me an offer, and I was less than thrilled with it. So I countered with what I thought was a fair offer, which I crowdsourced and found out it was a fair offer. Of course, the crowdsource said that, that what he offered me was, was fair as well. And it involved Ronald Jones and, and another pick and, and, you know, moving down. And I, I wasn't prepared to, to, to give up the pick and Ronald Jones to move up one spot to take Henderson. So I said, you know, just I, you're going to take Henderson, that's fine. So then as soon as he took Henderson, I immediately put Gurley on the block because I kind of wanted to wash my hands of him. It was the only share I had of Gurley, and I just I, I don't want to put up with, you know, yeah. another – a season where I'm on the cusp of it, and if I would have had somebody other than Gurley, or you know, if if I could have somebody who's performing at, at at a very good level in two years, I'd much rather have that, especially if Gurley's knee is going downhill. So I ended up trading Gurley, I think uh, Trey Burton and Emmanuel Sanders was the package, and I got back uh, a, a first round pick for it from a team that um, has drafted, I think, in the top two the last three years. Um, and, and, you know, who knows if that's what happens in, in 2018. But, but I, you know, it should be a high, it should be a high first round pick and I got their second round pick as well. Uh, and then I shipped Tevin Coleman off 
for a second round pick. I made another deal for, for another first round pick. I can't remember what that one was, but now all told, um, my best running back on the team is Ronald Jones, but I have three first round picks next year. I have three second round picks next year. And I, I think my top three receivers are Mike Evans, Tyler Lockett, and it's somebody, Oh, Allen Robinson. And then I still have, um, uh, O.J. Howard at tight end, Lamar Jackson at quarterback. So I have some okay. pieces. So if I can hit on a couple of these picks next year, I, I should be back in the mix. So I never really wanted to trade Todd Gurley, but the impetus of, of not being able to get Henderson or not willing to pay the price for Henderson, the iron price for Henderson, sort of like, okay, I, I need to, you know, crap or get off the pot here, and I got off the pot. Yeah. I also heard that you threw out the first pitch at a Timber Rattlers game recently. How did that oh. go? What? My goodness, he is just feeding you a ton of questions. Yeah, I was uh, I, I, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers is the uh, low A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers here in Northeast Wisconsin, and I had the opportunity to throw out the first pitch. Uh, my local radio show uh, here was sort of the we 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 do broadcast out at the Fox City Stadium for for these games every so often, and uh, my co-host and I got to throw out the first pitch. Now there's 17 people throwing out the first pitch, so we are hardly the only one. Uh, no. But he, uh, I was the fifth one throwing. He was throwing fourth. The four people before me all threw it in the dirt. I had a couple of beers in me, so I'm kind of thinking, you know, and we're standing in front of the mound. We're not standing on the mound. So I'm kind of thinking, like, well, maybe it's further away than it actually looks. So I intentionally threw it high. Now, I didn't throw it in the dirt, but it was clearly a ball. Uh, and I had a ball after that, but I was frustrated that, you know, I was whatever it was, 50 feet away or uh, 55 feet, you know, right in front of the mound, and I couldn't throw a strike. That was extraordinarily frustrating. That's unfortunate. I was going to congratulate you, but uh, if you didn't throw a strike, then <laughs> I guess we're – No. I guess I no, can't congratulate you on it. it was, I, no, I don't deserve it. Yeah. One last question I All want right. to squeeze in, Noah, and you've, right. you've been so gracious with your time. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, this is from uh, Kyle in Littleton, New Hampshire. He writes, what's up, Noah and Balky? Devin Funches turned some heads in minicamp, but did he do enough for you to turn your attention to drafting him at his current price in FFPC leagues? Uh, so Devin Funches, before you answer this question, I'll tell you right now, over the last two weeks in FFPC best ball, he is in the 14th round, a mid-14th round pick. Um, he is obviously not going to be the number one receiver as long as T.Y. Hilton's there. But your thoughts on him maybe becoming the, I don't know if he becomes the second receiving option, but maybe the second receiver there in Indy and you can get him in the 14th round, Noah. Yeah, I think 14th round is a fair price for, uh, for Funches. I think there's a, there's a few guys in that offense that will be very interesting. Um, basically, that offense has got a whole lot of weapons now. So how the spread goes between them, I think that you know there's a guy that, a lot of people take a little earlier than that. That's uh, Naheem Hines, and I don't have much of Naheem Hines just because I think a lot of his pass-catching role is going to be spread between a few guys. Um, you know, they're going to have Jack Doyle back healthy, but then also how quickly is Paris Campbell involved? And I think that a lot of his stuff is going to be jet sweeps and some, some short area passing. Uh, I think that there's a, there's a potential for that offense to be very good, very effective. I don't think that they're going to funnel a whole lot of opportunity to any one of the pieces. Uh, you know, QI is obviously interesting, but I think Devin Funches has the potential to get you four or five weeks where he has you know, a, a big 60 yards and a touchdown, something like that, where he's a startable asset. And in best ball, that's fine if that's what your 14th-round pick is. I think, I think that's, a, that's a great pick you're taking in there. Uh, it was a great pick uh, having you on the show tonight, man. This was, uh, uh, I, I think, more so than, than a lot of other weeks. We got a lot of analysis, a lot of great insight into not only uh, some player evaluations, but uh, really how you manage uh, best balls and how you assemble these teams. Appreciated all the insight you gave us on the Battle of the Hardos draft. That was awesome as well. And really want to thank you uh, for coming on overall. Good luck in all your leagues uh, this year. No, good luck in the main event. That is going to be very fun. And uh, I'm going to let you get back to, to managing those 4,000 uh, best ball leagues, man. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, thank you, too. Anytime. Follow. Thank you, Noah. Appreciate it. Noah, uh, Noah Rudell, ladies and gentlemen. Follow him on Twitter, at Noah Rudell. Uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see if we can get that Battle of the Hardos uh, draft up. I know a lot of times as soon as a draft ends, 
it's like, you know, the ADP is already old. So, and, and that was a very, as Noah alluded to, that was a very, very interesting draft. It was been a very, very interesting night. I want to thank everybody who was hanging out in the uh, chat room, all those questions. I'm going to start a, uh, a, for sure a 2019 record for uh, questions from the chat room uh, for the guests tonight. Uh, maybe overall, I don't even know. I don't keep track of that. Neither does Rob. He's not a good producer. I'm just kidding, Rob. I want to thank Noah Rudell. Dave, uh, or excuse me, uh, uh, not Dave Gerzak. Well, I want to thank Dave Gerzak because he wasn't on the show this week, and we got Noah to co-host for the whole hour. That was awesome. I want to thank the FFPC, Rob Bryce, and, of course, each and every one of you. Now, next week, um, no Dave again. Not his fault. It's going to be my fault. We are uh, going to record. The show will air at 10, 9 central. However, it will be recorded early, uh, so you can still pop in the chat, but you won't be able to communicate uh, with us because the, the show will be pre-recorded. So next week's guest is going to be one of the Pros versus Joes entrants this year. Uh, he's uh, won a main event league in the past. He's won football guys leagues in the past. Dave Shioto is going to be on uh, to talk about not only uh, drafts this summer, but also his plan of attack on the Pros versus Joes. Check out the Maiden Dynasties and 2019 Best Balls at MyFFPC.com. Less than 52 hours to go to get in on that Football Guys Players Championship early bird, so make sure you're taking advantage of that. Hey, guys, 15 minutes to go. Midnight draft. We need five teams. Jump in. Be the hero or be one of the heroes. I'll be commissioning shortly. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you again next Friday. And as always, of course, your weekend starts now. This has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com that was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week. We're on a team explore, even more so if we on tour, me and E explore the country, wondering about the evening before, trying to explain where the time went, while other rappers find a studio to grind in. Hey, one other thing I, I should mention, too, just uh, shameless self-promotion. Um, in addition to Dave Sciotto being on the uh, HSFF Hour next Friday, on Thursday, you can actually go to rotaviz.com slash podcast, check out the latest edition of the High Stakes Lowdown, and it's going to be another member of the Battle of the Hardos. Uh, Greg Cantor at Crack Rock is going to be this week's guest on the High Stakes Lowdown. Look for that Thursday morning. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun uh, talking to him. He's done a ton of drafts this summer, so he'll have a lot of great insight as well. Thanks again so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week.